week four in college football is in the books. It was awesome, and everybody's talking about Pac-12 after dark, talking about the conference, getting respect. Five teams ranked in between 11 and 19 in the AP poll. We're going to get into the power rankings, and we're going to rate the weekend. Who still has a chance at the playoffs, and what the hell is going on with Pac-12 referees? And, of course, we're going to break down all the games from this week. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, I could not be any more excited. I was watching the games this weekend. This was absolutely awesome. I destroyed you this week in picks. <laughs> I mean, you picked Utah to win. You picked. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't pick Utah. Don't put that on me. I messed up a lot this weekend, but don't put Utah on me. Oh, I thought you did pick them. Oh, sorry. You picked Ole Miss to beat Cal, and you picked Arizona State to beat Colorado, and now you're sitting there with yep. egg on your face, buddy. You're going to listen to it's me. true. You are going to listen to me. I Maybe I didn't know that Ralphie was a girl, but guess what? <laughs> <laughs> I can pick these doggone games. First of all, you guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. At this point, it appears it is the most successful podcast in all of Pac-12 country. We appreciate your time. Please make sure that you share the feed. This is a podcast for us, not for me and Ralph, for us, for all of us. We are all Pac-12 Apostles evangelizing about the conference, all the good things and the bad things that go on. But we got to talk about it. We are family. Make sure that you guys send in all your questions, comments. We've been getting them in to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. I am M A D at unafraidshow.com. We got so many great things up and we got so many great things planned for you guys. Send in your comments, all of that. And this episode, make sure you're paying attention. We are we are having a giveaway this episode. So you guys have to make sure that you check the at Pac 12 Apostles. A Twitter account for all the details and all of that appreciated. But now it is time to get into it. Ralph, how would you rate the weekend for the Pac-12? I mean that after last night's games, I think that the Pac-12 as a conference dominated uh, the national narrative and attention. Cal went out into SEC country. They got a win. Washington, UCLA was completely bonkers. Uh, Colorado ASU went down to the wire. Uh, The Friday night game, as much as I hate Friday night games, um, was enough to keep people talking. Uh, You know, and so I I think that this was just as far as the conference goes. If there's no such thing as uh, as you know as bad press. Um, there was plenty of press, some good, some bad, but I, I would say that the Pac-12 as a conference dominated the national narrative uh, this weekend. I totally would agree with that. The, the The conference did well in the non-conference games, particularly in the Cal and Ole Miss game where ye of little faith. I have been standing on – I've been on an island of one. me, Well, island of two, me and John Wilner are the only people who believe in Cal. I've said it as, I mean, Chase Garbers played out of his mind. uh, And there was so much to talk about, especially that, obviously, the UCLA-Washington State game, 
dominated Twitter all night last night. I was texting people, calling people, turn on the game. They were like, it's a blowout. I was like, no, it's not. And I wish that game had been on during like normal business hours because if so many people on the East Coast, Midwest, who were asleep at 2 a.m. when it finished their time, they didn't get a chance to see one of the epic shootouts and comebacks in college football this year, for sure. Uh, if you're Anthony Gordon, how do you feel this morning? I mean, he got his. It, we're all lobbyists for our own self-interest, um, but they lost, and he turned the ball over three times. So how do you feel if you're Anthony Gordon this morning? You feel bad because you had three turnovers yourself. You threw two picks. to Neither one of them was good. And you fumbled the football at the very end of the game when you did have a chance to win. So even though you threw nine touchdowns, you still look at all the plays that you left on the field. I mean, and it just sucks to break records and then lose. That's terrible. But, Ralph, do you think – so there have been – conversations ordinarily when a pac-12 team loses and there's no undefeated pac-12 teams left people say oh the pac-12's out of the playoff conversation it cannot happen and but even though utah was the highest ranked pac-12 team people had oregon and washington still as the favorites to make the playoff out of the conference and it seems like the odds are only going up for Oregon and for Washington to make the playoffs because the conference is getting that respect. I don't know. I have playoffs. <laughs> I'm not sure about. I'm not sure about any playoffs. Uh, I think they're just all trying to win their games. Like I don't. I, I don't know anything about the playoff right now. I mean, uh, the the Pac-12 is in the process of doing what it always does. You know, the snake eating its tail. Um, if someone goes eleven and one and wins the Pac-12 championship this season, then I, I think it's a legitimate possibility. Um, but right now, we're four weeks into the season without a single Pac-12 team in the top ten. The odds are not in our favor uh, for getting somebody in, even if you do have those teams, because the the odds are that the teams that are already in those places are probably going to be equally successful. Um, well. Well, see, see, I would actually debate that only because you have LSU and Alabama that have to play each other who are in. So in the top 10, there are four SEC teams right now. You have Auburn, LSU and Alabama who all have to play each other. So that's two losses coming out of there for sure, because there's three football games, two losses that have to come out of there for it. So somebody's going to end up with two losses. And you have Georgia, who's likely to win the East in the SEC, has to play somebody too. And and if you have the Pac-12 do anything to help itself, that means USC playing Notre Dame, Stanford playing Notre Dame, if they can get either one of those games, Notre Dame's out of there. So and out of the and out of LSU, Alabama, and Auburn, Auburn is the team they haven't had any offense going since the Oregon game. Bo Nix has not been great, but they've been winning football games. And then out of Ohio State and Wisconsin, who are in the top ten, one of them has got to go. One of them has got to got to go. And the same thing with Texas and Oklahoma; they both can't stay in front of a uh an 11 and a 12 and 1 pack 12 champion 
So I think the Pac-12 actually, if if it finishes with a 12-1 and champion, it's got a legit shot of getting in the playoffs, particularly if it's Oregon or Washington. Oh, and I forgot, Cal is still undefeated. They've crept up to number 14 in the poll ahead of Washington, as they should be, Ralph. Yeah, uh, we'll find out if I feel the same way when it comes to give our, our power rankings. Uh, but it's weird because if, if that's what you want, then it gives you almost a rooting interest. So like when Cal and Arizona State go head-to-head on Friday, then you're rooting for Cal to win because it, it, you're, you only want the teams that have a shot at – at going all the way to to be the ones that are that are winning, and so that's why I don't like to think too much about. It. I think it all takes care of itself. Well, then the problem is that it takes care of itself, and that we have a conference commissioner that doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. Yeah, but it, but look at the schedule. Look at how bad this is. So you have this is where I have such problems with the Pac-12 schedule because they just make a schedule instead of crafting a schedule instead of giving its teams the optimal chance to be good and to showcase their, put their best foot forward. So you have Cal who was beat up at linebacker when they went down to Ole Miss. Played well, played well enough to win. They had to travel multiple time zones, play a 9 a.m. game, fly all the way back across the country, and now this week you want them to play a Friday night game. I mean, with, it is with just, with uh, midterms approaching. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I'm like you the, the conference schedules for parity, like it schedules for the teams to lose games. And it makes no sense to me. And then you have Larry Scott saying that the playoff doesn't need to expand, that the conference just needs to get better. And I'm sitting here scratching my my head I'm like, wait, so you don't think it's a good idea? that there be power five power five conferences and every conference champion get an automatic bid and knowing how the nine game schedules are by are, are detrimental to making the playoffs con- compared to the SEC with eight conference games and playing terrible non-conference schedules and the ACC who can do the same thing and it makes no sense to me Ralph like I, I can't I don't understand Larry Scott's logic. And sometimes you have faulty logic, so maybe you can explain this to me. Uh, here's here's how I'm looking at it. You ever do that thing <laughs> where you got like a sibling or a cousin or whatever, you take their own hands and you start slapping them in the face and say, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. That's <laughs> like when Larry Scott talks about Pac-12 needing to get better, it, the Pac-12 is like, well, our deficiencies are not our deficiencies. You're the one doing this to us. Like, we can't get better with you standing in the way, making us worse, punching us in the face with our own hands. Nobody can watch these games. Everybody in California and Arizona and Washington that is worth recruiting wants to leave to go to places where things are more prominent. You're getting run and wrecked by Mountain West teams. The schedule is absolutely all over the place. Nobody can develop any sort of routine whatsoever. And the the, the solution is proposed that a supposedly Power 5 conference gets the ability to put its champion in a playoff, and he says, nah, we just need to get better. How? How are we going to get better as a conference with all of the impediments that he has helped put and keep in place? I just – every single time he opens his mouth, it, 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 he is 
he, it's Larry Michael Scott is who he is because every single time oh, he opens office. his mouth, exactly. I got the I got the Jim Halpert look on my face, looking around to see if there's a camera in the room. Like, <laughs> no, you you are the Pac-12 conference commissioner. You take absolutely every opportunity that the NCAA would even think about giving you to make more money, to be put in a position of prominence. You work for the freaking conference, not the other way around. Like, it, uh, Thanks for the advice, Larry, but that's not what this conference needs. This conference needs somebody to champion the conference of champions. I, I don't understand. It, I mean, it, that statement kind of summed up everything that's been going on. He's it's the give it to Mikey. He'll lead anything. We'll take Friday night games. We'll take the latest game possible when people on the East Coast can't can't see. We'll take whatever it is that you want to give. Oh, and then when we actually are considering doing something positive for you with the with putting five power five champions in the playoffs, you're like, oh, nah, nah, we don't we, we don't want that. We want to struggle. It's like it's like he wants the conference to be perpetual overcomers, and the it's almost like he doesn't realize what the metrics of success are, because you can try to champion the fact that the conference of champions wins more championships than every other conference. However, revenue generating sports are at the end of the day are the only thing that people care about, are the only thing that really moves the needle. Yes, it's cool. Like, there are three things, well, four things that really matter that people ever see, right? They see, obviously, football, number one, which the conference is falling behind in because they because they took all this money. They just took all the money that ESPN threw at them and was like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take this. Ha ha, $2 billion deal. We're the, we're the champs, but you really got swindled. And then you got basketball, which is, Good God, if it weren't for Oregon in basketball right right now, the conference would have nothing. The conference would have nothing if it weren't for Oregon doing good job in basketball in a tournament. And then and then you have women's basketball, which is which the conference is doing really well. Oregon's doing really well in that as well. So are uh Arizona State, Oregon State. And then the last thing that actually matters that people watch on television is softball. And the conference does, does well in softball, UCLA won. So, but in the two major things, you're losing. And he's trying to sell us the fact that it's a win. And I, I, I don't understand, Ralph. I don't. I just, I the, the idea that he would just say, just get better. Like, man, that's fantastic what advice for, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the, the whole Al Davis, like, just win, baby. Like, cool. Are you going to tell us the plan? Because you can't just win, baby. You can't do – oh, I didn't think of that, Larry. Get better? Uh, nobody ever said it that way. Hey, guys, maybe we should just get better. Has anybody, uh, anybody ever thought of this before? Get better? You're a genius. Like, wow. come on. Of course, everybody's trying to win these games. And then also it's saying get better with less resources than everybody else. Get better with with less TV time than everybody else. This is why we said in the beginning of this year that this was the most important year for the Pac-12 conference. The most important year for the conference. 
Because can I tell you a little story? Can I can I tell you a little story about just how asinine the the whole Pac-12 viewing experience has been recently? Just a little story, just some microcosm of what's been going on. I've had the Pac-12 network on Sling for two years. For two years, I've had it. I have the package that has the Pac-12 network. The only reason I have Sling is so I can watch one channel. That's it. That's the only reason that I have it. At the beginning of this year, Pac-12 Network gave away two free preview weeks for people who had Sling, had maybe never watched the Pac-12 Network before, and wanted to buy a package or an upgrade that had the Pac-12 Network. And so I noticed that it said like that it was free. Every time that I would turn it on, it said you know that it was free. And going into week three, I call my wife because I'm out covering a game and I say, hey, I messed up. Can you go in and make sure that these games are recorded so that I can watch them so that I know what I'm talking about when I go head to head with George Reister? And she (laughs) said, you don't have the Pac-12 network. She told me I didn't have the Pac-12 network. And I was like, Pac-12 network is the only thing that I have. Like, that's the only thing that I ever even use my office television for is this one channel what do you mean i don't have it and she's like i've searched for it you don't have it it's not on here and then so now here i am thinking like my genius wife and i'm not being sarcastic this is one of those brilliant women that i've ever met like doesn't know how to work a television remote so i start getting condescending right like (laughs) of course it's on there did you sir did you put a k in pac 12 like what are you doing (laughs) right Which, oh man, not a good choice by me. But, so like, and she's getting frustrated, I'm getting frustrated, and then all of a sudden I'm like, just give me a minute. And I check my email, and I have an email from, from I think it was from Sling, and it said, we hope you've enjoyed your free um, uh, trial of the Pac-12 network, uh, which has ended. If you want uh, to keep Pac-12 network, you need to pay $10 a month for the sports extra upgrade. So I had to pay I had to buy a package to keep the channel that I've always had. And it's been a busy football season, so I haven't even had time to sit down to figure out why all of a sudden Sling is ten more dollars a month for me and why I missed a whole week of recording games uh, when I've just only ever had Sling to have the Pac-12 network. And so it's already hard enough to watch Pac-12 games, and now I get kicked off of the one channel that I need. And I, and I just, it, it was maddening. And I was like, this is everybody's viewing experience for trying to find a bar with the Pac-12 network. Holy hell. Like, oh, you this might is, as well forget about it has that. been a mess for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to be end up being some shady place where you get your car broken into in the parking lot. Like, there's, <laughs> it's just, oh. But yeah, so now I'm paying, and I, I, the, the money I don't care about. I want to know why Pac-12 Network got taken away from me in the middle of a workday. I just, I don't understand what is going on with this conference and this channel. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like, I am having the same experience as a lot of frustrated fans. And I'm telling you, you can't just win if you can't just watch. You are, uh, uh, you are 100% right about that. But there's been another thing that's, uh, before we even get into the games, there's another things that are constantly in the news. Larry Scott tries to tell us everything is fine. Oh, it's on par with every other conference. But I watch every, I, I, I don't know if there's a person who watches more college football than I do. Like, it would be hard. I, I mean, I, I know you watch a ton of fo- of college football too, Ralph, and you watch a ton of high school football too, but I watch I watch every conference. 
I watch, you know, I'm watching the Florida State game. I got multiple TVs going. I'm trying to consume as much college football content as possible. And Larry Scott keeps telling us that the Pac-12 referees are fine, but I'm watching the games. And why does it seem like it's only our referees that consistently end up in controversies and having to have plays reversed on a regular basis? Yeah, I talked to somebody last night in the ASU press box, and they're like, it's every conference, it's every conference. And then they pointed back to, like, the Miami-Ohio State National Championship. And I was like, okay, well, that was a generation ago, and we get three of these every week. So <laughs> I don't I don't know what, you, what, what, you, what you're saying. Like, I, the, the end of the Cal game had me so frustrated, and I know maybe you don't necessarily agree with my take on it, of they should have just called it a touchdown and gone to replay – but the worst part is having the conference drug into the national conversation immediately after the game is over about like, oh, Pac-12 refs did it again. And then you have last night in the Arizona State game for the second week in a row, they call Eno Benjamin for a fumble when he was down and replay has to reverse it. And then in last night's game, without replay, without replay, Washington State beat 2CLA. You and I both know this. Like, the, there is absolutely no way that UCLA was going to stop Washington State. They hadn't done it all night. And uh, and uh, Washington State receiver, I think the receiver that had like four touchdowns, right? Like, he ends up being he was the goat and the goat. And uh, he he uh, he fumbles, uh, but they they say he was down, and they have to go back to replay. And it's just like, guys, like try getting a call right the first time for once. Or if it was not for replay. This conference would be an actual dumpster fire and not a metaphorical one. Like nobody would want it. the credibility of this conference would be completely scrapped because they can't get these calls right in the first place. If it was not for replay, yesterday would have been the biggest mess in the history of the Pac-12 officiating just for a single week. Well, with the uh, Ole Miss Cal game. I thought that okay, okay, so you you have to look at it two ways because on that one the Pac-12 refs got a lot of heat because they said they didn't review it, blah blah blah. But the SEC was the actual review mechanism. So the crew on the field was Pac-12, the review crew was the SEC, and if the re- review crew blows down to see if it's a touchdown. And they find on that third down and goal play, then if they blow it down to stop it, then and it finds out that it's not a touchdown, then the game is over. Old Miss loses because it's going to be a runoff. And then there is there's there there's a runoff if there's a review that then stops a clock during a running clock situation. So Ole Miss had a chance to dive over the pile and 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 get it in. But at the end of the day, the call may have been incorrect on the field. We can't tell because this was not a premier game. So what don't we have? We don't have end zone cameras because um, having called games, it is completely different when you are doing a primetime game, when you are doing a ESPNU game, or an ESPN3 game that's just digital. It's completely different. You may have six cameras versus 16 cameras or more. That's the difference. So you get better angles. It's almost like, you know how when people used to call in and be able to report 
violations during PGA events in golf. And then they would go back and find the per. I mean, they would assess stroke penalties to people for the ball moving or not putting it close enough to where their mark was. It's kind of like that, where if you are player number 136, you're never on TV. So no, it, nobody can ever report you. But if you're Tiger Woods or Dustin Johnson and every single shot is shown, then you have a higher propensity of of having something go wrong or having an opportunity to correct the wrong because there are more video eyes on it. Yeah, I mean, it, n- none of this would really matter if the other cameras on the field, the referees' eyeballs weren't broken <laughs> or if they were doing their job. So I just – everything comes into question. I was less upset for Ole Miss than I am the fact that we got to bring these guys back to – officiate other games in the Pac-12. That's what the Pac-12 should really be worried about is like, oh, these people are coming home with us. <laughs> like, it, because it's one thing when it messes over uh, Michigan State or it messes over Ole Miss, but when it, like, they're not going to all of a sudden get good at their job this week and now all the games are going to be Pac-12 versus Pac-12 and I just, I don't like having these conversations about officiating. You're not supposed to even notice that they're there. And uh, and last night, and, and, and the, the Cowell miss thing was one thing, but last night having to go to replay to overturn things in Arizona State, Colorado, and in UCLA, uh, Washington State in crucial situations, it was just like, man, can you not, do you not know what a fumble is? This is, you know, I, I remember watching TV before replay, and there were like egregious miscues, but now that replay is a crutch, it just seems like it's fine for them to repeatedly screw up all the time, like because they've got this cushioning, uh, and then they choose not to use the cushioning at the end of that Cal Ole Miss game. And so, um, I don't know. I just I disagree with the assessment that it is all conferences. And and yesterday, uh, the SEC joined in with the Big Ten from last week in saying, like, hey, we don't want to schedule these teams anymore if they're going to bring their refs with them. And I think that that's the downside is eventually people are going to wise up and say, yeah, yeah, it's It's not even home cooking. It's not like they're cheating for the Pac-12 teams. It's just no, they're just bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing before the games is uh, we have belabored about the point about how we both hate the Friday night games and the first, well, the second Friday night game of the year, I think Arizona state played Kent state the first Friday night game of the year. And that, and then this last week we had USC Utah and next week we got Cal playing Arizona state on Friday night again. And I'm sitting here thinking, what was your assessment of the Friday night game being that Utah did pull the upset and people were talking about it? Well, I mean, I watched it like one in the morning. And so it was, it was a good football game. Um, it was, it was a weird experience for me because I was on the sideline of a uh, of Brophy high school covering a high school game while this game was going on. Well, Keaton Slovis gets knocked out. And I'm standing right next to his offensive coordinator from high school, Kurt Warner. And I'm like, do I say something? Or he's got to coach this game. Like, do I, do I tell him? And then after the game, when, uh, when USC had finally won, you know, they had an offer, they have an offensive line commit from that school named Andrew Millick. And it was kind of cool to be able to tell him like, Hey, 
you know, you guys got the win here and your, your future team got a win over Utah. And so, you know, he was pretty excited about that. Like there, there, so there was a weird mixture of elements for me just in the situation of like, I'm trying to monitor this game. You got Arizona high school kids that are in the game. One of them got hurt really bad. Um, and, uh, and then I'm on the sideline with a USC commit and, um, you know, and so it was, it was just weird for me. I I felt kind of torn, um, I'm still not a fan of these Friday night games, but the actual play on the field was good. It's not like a situation where like the NFL puts football on Thursdays and it always just seems clunky and and not fully functional. Um, you know, it, it was a decent enough football game, um, but you know maybe it affected Utah in some way to have to travel and play on a, on a Friday night. You never really know. I just prefer that they all be on Saturdays, but just the quality of play, if that's what you're asking about, like, no, it was a good game. So last night I'm on the sideline of Brophy high school and I'm standing next to Kurt Warner, who is their quarterbacks coach. His son plays for the team. Well, he was Keaton Slovis's offensive coordinator at desert mountain high school the year before Keaton Slovis ends up getting hurt really bad, you know, knocked out. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, do I say something to, you know, to Kurt Warner? And then on the other side of that, they have an offensive lineman, Andrew Millick, who's committed to USC. So after the game, I was able to tell him like, hey, your team won and get his reaction. Um, it, was, it was sort of a weird situation for me because, you know, I, I, I never watch these games live on Friday nights. Friday nights for me are for going out and scouting prospects and for, for covering some, some high school football. Um, and so, uh, you know – but if you're just talking about the quality of play, when I got home and I watched the game, it was good. It's not really like the NFL in that, you know, every single Thursday night game is garbage. College kids seem to be able to, to, to put points on the board and make things exciting, regardless of what day of the week it is. Could it have adversely affected Utah to have to come to L.A. where they haven't won in 106 years and play on a Friday night? Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, you're right. Like the the, the play was good. Um but it was just a weird situation for me because it was like, you know, I'm on the sideline with wanting to update these people, but not wanting them to distract, to be distracted from the task that they had uh, at hand. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm still firmly against the Friday night games. Um, but, but if you're just talking about the style of play, it was a very good game and they didn't seem to be too affected by by having to play on a Friday. Yeah, night. I would agree that the quality of play was there. I would agree that the quality of play was there. But when it comes to the actual, you know, the actual mechanics of it and just the fact that you had the most storied Pac-12 team versus a top 10 team and so many people can't watch it. I don't love it. It was the only thing on. And when it comes to ratings, it's not even going to rate as one of the five best games of the weekend. Even though it was a really good game and a really good matchup and USC came out and proved it. Uh, So we can get into this game, though. I thought that Clay Helton, see, Clay, Clay Helton's a different kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that shows up when it matters and he's going to make it very, very difficult for USC to fire him. Even though that they have some deficiencies or not showing up as much as they should. But the fact that is why receiving core is so good, you can just throw the ball up. This is a team that's going to win probably eight or nine games, and you're and then you're going to fire a coach that won nine games. I mean, uh, that that might get a little sticky, especially when you're hiring a like you're not going to be hiring Nick Saban next, and the next and their new president kind of already hinted that she doesn't want Urban Meyer. 
So what are you thinking now? Like, are you sitting here saying, okay, so now who do we get? And I always say that you have to consider two rules before you fire coaches. You have to consider which an article will be up on Unafraid Show about that as soon as somebody is fired. The number one, you have to assess every single coach at the end of every season, whether they went undefeated and won a national championship or whether they went defeated and lost every game. And you need to say, is there a coach that we can guarantee get that will do a better job than this guy? So, like, if you are at, you know, so if you're at Boise State, Brian Harson is there. Great coach. But if you can get Urban Meyer or Nick Saban, you fire him. That doesn't, it's not an indictment on him, but you just know that they're going to do a better job. So that's kind of similar. And then the other thing is, is there a loss of hope? Is there a loss of hope in the houses of 17 to 18 year old kids to say that you can't make them believe that the future is brighter than the past? And Clay Helton is going to do just enough where USC cannot fire him. Yeah, I mean, I just we just went through this at Arizona State with a seven and five ASU team um, that uh, that beat the University of Arizona and still the next day uh, fired Todd Graham so that Ray Anderson could execute his vision of making you know ASU an NFL style locker room. Um, and so I think you just got to go with your gut. So they got to get somebody in there who has conviction and a vision uh, at the athletic director um, position. And then that person needs to go out and execute that vision. Um, I know that USC is unique and I know that they like to go with alumni or whatever. Uh, but I don't, I, you know, I don't care if, I don't care if Clay Helton goes out there and, and they make the college football playoff and win the whole thing. If you get an athletic director in there who wants to execute a new vision, then you move forward in whatever direction that is. I'm a firm believer in letting the boss be the boss. Like you hired somebody for that skill set, let them be themselves. And so, you know, if the person they bring in looks at what Clay Helton's going to do and, and says that that doesn't match up with the with the way that I want to shape this athletic department, then you got you got to let him go. So right now, to me, it's not so much about what Clay Helton's doing, but who it's about who they're going to bring in and what their vision is for for USC because. If it's just a thing where, you know, whoever comes in, is just restore glory, restore glory, restore glory, then you're looking to the past and not the future. So I think they need to bring somebody in who is a visionary. And if within that vision, Clay Helton exists and what he's been doing exists, then great for him. And if not, then I think he'll be on his way, which I I, I kind of just assume that he'll eventually be on his way anyway, with the fan base clamoring constantly for somebody else to be in that seat, no matter how successful Red leather, they are. yellow leather. Um, I, I am... Well, I was looking at this game, and Keaton Slovis started the game. Obviously, he only threw two passes, and Matt Fink came in. And Matt Fink threw for 351 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. And so many people were singing Matt Fink's praises. They were like, oh, my God, they uh, they made the right decision with their quarterback opportunities because you had JT Daniels, then you have Slovis. They're so deep. And I'm like, listen, if you put, even if you put uh, Khalil Tate Amsden in at quarterback for USC with these wide receivers, oh. he's going to look like a world beater. He he would, Khalil Tate would probably throw for 5,000 yards <laughs> this season, or at least 4,500 if he were playing with USC's wide 
wide receivers. I mean, me and you could go out there. And, and those are his people. Those are the people he was dominating at the high school level. Just throw it up. Uh, out in California. Just throw it so, up to yeah. them, and they will go get it. The, the big body Vaughns, uh, Amon St. Route, Brown has good routes. These dudes made catches. They made Jalen Johnson from Utah. The, they're all world corner. He didn't look impressive. And most importantly, Brett, uh, Brett, uh, most importantly, Ralph, uh, uh, Brett, Brett was my old radio partner and, and, and we're, and we're, oh, I love it. I love now. it. Yeah. It's a compliment. So, it's a compliment. Tyler Huntley. I told you about Tyler Huntley. I told you about him. Yeah. I told you he wasn't going to be good enough when it counted and that he is not special enough to, for this Utah team to win the Pac-12. Do you finally believe me? I think he I think he personally did enough to to get Utah this win. But the when the How can you say he did enough? He he was 22 for 30 for 210 and a touchdown and and a lot of that was run after the catch. He wasn't like pushing the ball downfield. Like this was right. not and f- an impressive quarterback performance. But it it's a Utah quarterback performance, and this is supposed to be the favorite in the conference, and their defense is supposed to be good enough to where if you have a quarterback that isn't turning the ball over and can get you a couple hundred yards passing, that your running game takes over and you get the win. Utah's off. Do, nobody you, plays like that. Who can who can when can teams play like that? Georgia, Georgia keeps trying to play like that. Alabama keeps beating them. Uh you have Michigan trying to play like that. Everybody's beating them. Stanford tries to play like that. Everybody, they're getting beat. It does it. It right. wins games, but it can't win championships. Right, but you. So, but I'm, what I'm saying is, you can't tell me that that Tyler Huntley didn't do his job. Like he did what they brought him there to do. This, this is a. This is it. This is on. This loss is on the defense, and if it's on the coaches for not adapting to a style that would actually make them worthy of being the favorite in the Pac-12 South then I, I get that. But Tyler Huntley went out there and did exactly what you expected from him. What was that old, like, Zach Crockett line? You need a yard, I'll give you three. You need five yards, I'll give you three. Tyler Huntley went out there and got his three yards. Like, <laughs> that's what he does. And so I, I, I'm not really willing to put it on him. I know you text me. <laughs> you So I had to go back and reverse engineer because I wasn't watching the game live. I had to go figure out exactly what you meant by like I told you he was bad, and I think you sent it right after he took that safety. Um, I, I think I think that's when you sent it. Was like I told you about Tyler Huntley, and uh, and I think that that was around the part. I mean that wasn't very pretty, uh, but yeah, I mean I I felt like he went out and did exactly what you would have expected him to do. And if you need him to put the game on his shoulders and go out and win it and make up for the defense, he's not going to do that. But nobody voted for Utah to win the Pac-12 on the strength of Tyler Huntley. Like they was, they went for it on, on the fact that their schedule, the fact that they didn't have to play Stanford, and the fact that they didn't have to play Oregon, that it made their schedule a little bit easier. But as I've been saying all along, all, all along, you have to have a quarterback who at some point in time can win you a football game. Every team has to have it, whether you are Alabama all the way down to to, to New Mexico State. At some point in time, to win anything, your quarterback has to be special because some days your defense is not going to have a great day. And and some some days you just need a little bit more. So I'm not knocking Tyler Huntley because he is who he is. I'm knocking Utah 
as a championship caliber team. And I have been not knocking Tyler, but just knocking Utah as a championship team because of his limited skill set and because of the way that they play football. It doesn't work in 2019. Yeah. Um, I, so one of the things about this game that I did not enjoy uh, was you never like to see players go down. Uh, it looks like Zach Moss is having some shoulder issues. Um, that's that's not great, you know, for, for that team. Um, when he, I think they were trying to ride him to a Pac-12 championship was, was really the goal of this offense. What happened to Keaton Slovis made me throw up in my mouth, if I'm being honest. Like, yeah. it was a clean hit. I, I always wonder, you know, because I got a former ASU lineman who does player evaluations for me on the high school football side, and he always talks about how he watches these offensive linemen's film, and he said, you know, I don't like that this guy leads with his head. And I never really, like, fully understood the damage that leading with your head can do until I watched McKenzie completely whiff on the best defensive lineman in college football, at least on the west side of the Mississippi, and he got a clear shot at picking Keaton Slovis up off the ground and driving him into the turf. A clean hit, but this is an 18-year-old, five-month kid taking on a 22-, 23-year-old, you know, absolute monster putting the full 330 pounds down on him, you know, and then and then when he stood up and he dropped back down to the ground, man, that was that was disturbing. Like I I yeah. uh, I felt really bad for him in that instance, but I mean that 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 uh, hopefully McKenzie is the one that's you know walking him through concussion protocol. And who knows when Keaton Slovis Slovis comes back? But I mean that was he put his head down and just whiffed, and you can't. He got his quarterback hurt, and that's uh, you know that's sad to think about. What do you think about? Okay, so USC got the win. They look good, you know, potentially going forward. They're three and one. A lot of people expected them to start the season out one and three. They go at Washington next week, but here is the problem: if you're looking at this team, they only were able to run the ball. Like so, USC's had a problem running the ball all season. Their secondary had yeah. been torched. And you're looking at their running game, 22 rushes, 13 yards. What is this? Like, it, it's it's like this is not USC. I know Graham Harrell's get, implementing his air raid and all that, but even the air raid teams usually run the ball pretty successfully because they're throwing the ball successfully. I it, This is not a long-term winning solution for USC when they cannot run the football. Yeah. I mean, it, that Utah defensive line like deserves credit. I think they scared USC out of even trying and USC had something that was working. And so they, they rolled with that and they got the win. I mean, I'm if they can't do it again at Washington next week, then I, you know, I'll be more on, on the side of this is a, this is an actual problem. Um, but they won the game. And they relied on their strengths, which you and I have been banging on the table, like shouting, why don't they give these guys a chance? Why don't they just incorporate Amon Ross St. Brown into the offense early, script some plays for him, which they did. 
Um, you know, Michael Pittman absolutely went off. Tyler Vaughn's had that touchdown catch over Jalen, uh, Jalen that just made him forget his own name. You know, he's out there sitting in the end zone on his butt, looking around for a, I don't know, a flag or something like for someone to come to his, to his aid. Uh, they relied on their strengths and they got a win against what was the highest ranked team in the pac 12. So I'm not going to be mad at them for not attempting to run the ball when on the second play of the game, Lecky Fotu, you know, was out there ruining Keaton Slotus's life. Um, you know, yeah. if, if, if they saw that it wasn't working and, and they went out and got the win and did what they needed to do, great. I don't think they'll be able to do that against Washington um, because, because you know, I, I feel a little bit more strongly about the actual talent that Washington has in the defensive backfield than I do the kind of fool's gold that, uh, that that Utah has in a lot of you know their coverage is is supplemented by great defensive line play. So I don't think USC will be able to get away with it next week. But uh, it worked this week, so I don't got much to complain about. Well, if 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 you look, they didn't run the ball successfully against BYU uh, either. Like that, this was not a like, and they didn't do it against Stanford. Their leading rusher against Stanford was Malapai, who rushed for 42 yards. I mean, this is not a solution for long-term winning football games. But this was a big win for USC. They got a good opportunity to be on a national stage all by themselves, and they won the game. So I guess at the end of the day, I guess that's all that matters is that you get a W. But... You know, going forward, though, the South is going to be much more competitive. And I think that we learned a lot about that from last last night. But I wanted to get into the Washington BYU game, Washington 45, BYU 19, uh, Jacob Eason 24, 28, 290 yards, three touchdowns. McGrew went for 110 yards. Aaron Fuller. He wasn't afraid to catch the ball again. Now that he wasn't playing it, playing against Cal. Uh, Washington looks good at three and one, and they knocked down BYU, who beat USC. So, how do you evaluate these two teams? Well, and from what you saw in the game. Well, first of all, um, I, when I when I heard that Sean McGrew was starting, I was fired up because this is a little guy, man. He's He's really, really small, but he can do some pretty special things. And so I thought it would be pretty cool to see what he could do against a BYU team that has a pretty good rushing defense. He went out and got stuck like on, (laughs) I think it was on Washington's first series. He got hit in the backfield on a corner blitz. And I was thinking to myself like, well, if he gets up from this, then I mean, he'll be ready to go. And he did. And then he went on to have a pretty good game. Um, this was, I, and I, I think that I opened our last podcast by saying that I believed that Washington, that this wasn't going to be competitive and that Washington was going to go in there. It'd be a tough environment, but that I thought that they just absolutely dismantled BYU. And I was at the end of the first half, I was actually like writing a, a, a little thing that like where I was going to, you know, on the podcast, talk about the fact that I feel like they're letting BYU back into this game by getting cute and not taking a field goal and trying to run a fake to go up 22 instead of 18, which is still three scores. You swing the momentum back to BYU and they come out and kick a field goal. And then all of a sudden it's only, a, uh, you know, it, it's only a 15 point lead at half. And so, I mean, I had this thing all written and ready to go where I was just going to 
rip Washington for letting BYU back in the game. And they came out after halftime and just beat the hell, beat the hell out of the Cougars. And it was, I mean, that flash, that third quarter is what I thought Washington was. Like that third quarter was everything to me. And, and uh, this is one of the best teams, if not the best team in the Pac-12 right now. I don't care about the results from earlier in the season. Oh, stop. That third- Ralph, stop, dude. Stop. Come on, bro. Like, like you cannot tell you, – you did not just say that you think that Washington is the best team in the Pac-12. As of right now, they either are the best or one of the best based on that third that third quarter against BYU told you oh. what the ceiling was. It told Ralph, you what at, the ceiling was best, for this team. Correct, but you you have to do that in all your games. And at this point in time, Washington is at best the third best team in the Pac-12 right now, at best. You, under no circumstances, will I allow you to put – put them above Cal. I know we haven't gotten to the power rankings yet, but that this, this is absurd. This is absurd already. Um, but the Washington BYU game, I think that Washington learned a lesson from USC that they came out and they said, look, we're more talented and we're going to act like it. We're not going to keep a game close for the sake of keeping it close. We're going to go out, go deep, execute try to get our athletes in space and that's what they did they did the opposite of what usc did they went into the game with a struggle mentality and and jacob eason bounced back from the cow game he looks good again he looks good while mind you he is maybe not the best pack 12 quarterback but at the end of the day he's good enough and this washington team is good enough to Win the Pac-12 still, and you are going to have a dog fight in the North between Cal, Washington, and Oregon. Those games should be epic this year. Yeah, so I mean, it's just if you're going to throw out there that they're good enough to win the Pac-12, but tell me that they're not that they, that it would be unfair to say that they're uh, they're playing like the best team in the Pac-12. I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there because I I think that if you're willing to admit that they have a possibility to win it based on what they've shown on the field, then I don't think it's crazy to say that they're up there right now at this moment. No, I think it's crazy to, in in your power rankings, if you have Washington ranked in front of Cal, then that's what's unreasonable. I can't can't take that, Ralph. Um, So we can move on to the next game. Cal went down to Oxford, went down to hot-ass Mississippi, got a win, Although it was a controversial ending, maybe Ole Miss doesn't even get the two-point conversion, 28-20. to 20. Chase Garbers, I don't know what the hell got into Chase Garbers. <laughs> 23 for 35, 357 yards and four TDs. He, what, whatever him and Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the second half took, they need to give that to to the whole conference when they play non-conference games. This was absolutely a spectacular performance. And according to the pack, to the Cal coaches that I talked to, they said that he's been doing this for the last couple of weeks in practice. And that's why they were willing to let him sit in empty sets 
and throw the ball around because he's been proving himself and that he's stepping up in practice. This was a quality win. The conference could not take a ranked team losing to a fourth or fifth place SEC West team. This was a big deal, and Cal is getting the respect that it deserves at 14 in the AP poll right now. Have you ever seen that? The It's like that uh, meme of Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Veep where she's like nervously saying WTF. Like, like that was that's all I could think of when I was watching Ole Miss drop eight into coverage and get carved up by a Chase Garbers who that was his 15th career game and like half of his games in his career he's thrown for under 100 yards. He threw for 15% of his career yards against Ole Miss of his <laughs> career yards. Like again, they were dropping eight into coverage and he was shredding them. He, the way that he was just calmly get some yards when there was an opening, like he, I just I mean, I absolutely love the way he played. I've been waiting for him to break out. My favorite part about this game is he did it against an Ole Miss team that has two former Pac-12 head coaches uh, in Rich Rod and Mike McIntyre, neither of which offered Chase Garbers. And so hey, he was ready to <laughs> shut them boys up. Yep, yep. And so, like, he didn't get the U of A offer. He didn't get the Colorado offer. And now look what happens. And, and you know, how about Matt Corral uh, or Matt Coral? Uh, you know, he, him saying that these, these California boys wouldn't be able to go out there and handle the heat. Man, it was Ole Miss that looked tired all game long. Like, it was how? them that looked dejected. They're going to have to – people in the South are going to have to stop using that as a crutch. They they feel like they have some sort of inherent advantage. We saw Boise State go down and just, de, just demoralize Florida State in the second half. And then Willie Taggart said his team wasn't hydrated. Now you got Cal going to Ole Miss. Oh, the, the heat will be too much. They're, they're not used to this. They're, they're Cali boys. Yeah, yeah, okay. Take this Cali L with you, bro, and and tuck your tail. That's what I. Tell that was my fa- my favorite thing is like they got like seven freshmen on Cal's roster from uh, from Phoenix. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I don't think it's gonna be too hot for some of these guys. Like I watched these guys in one eighteen and pads less than a year ago. I'm pretty sure they can handle it. Yeah, I mean everybody performed well. You, uh, they spread the ball around. They had. You know, uh, like nine different receivers or backs touched touched the ball. Their 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 tight end ended up with a sixty yard touchdown. This was an overall one of the least athletic one of the least athletic catch and runs I've ever seen. And there was nothing. He what well, that was Jake Tongas, yeah. right? The that had that third quarter touchdown. I was like, nobody, no. There's no, where's the SEC speed? You can't run this guy down. Like he was looking back. And you could see in his eyes through his face mask, tackle me, please. If I make it 10 more yards, I might not be able to play the rest of this game. Like, he's like, this is further than I've ever had to run before. Somebody please bring me down and the rest of the offense will come in and finish this off. And he ends up scoring and it was just, uh, it was, I was embarrassed for Ole Miss. Oh, uh, but I want to give big props, big, 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 big props to Evan Weaver. Evan Weaver in back-to-back, well, not back-to-back weeks, but in a two-week span against Washington, showed up bigger than he ever had, 18 tackles. And then against Ole Miss, showed up with 22 tackles, 
11 solo, half a sack, half a tackle for loss, two quarterback hurries. I think we're possibly looking at the Pac-12 defensive player of the year this year. Yeah, and I mean, and then you just look at the fact that, like, you know, uh, Ole Miss didn't turn the ball over through the air, but they threw 48 passes and none of them were for touchdowns. These defensive backs are the real, real deal. And then if they take on the attitude of Evan Weaver, I mean – it's a special defense. It really is. Um, you know, uh, offensively, is this the norm or was this an anomaly? We'll see because they still only averaged 1.8 yards a rush on the game. Um, so it's not like they did everything perfect, but I mean, they, they did look really good. I'll give them that. Oh, and, and they played at nine o'clock in the morning. So guess what, fans? If you get nine o'clock games, it it will be okay, I guess. It'll be okay because Cal, Cal made – this was like a test run that that even though it was a non-conference game, this was a test run that they were doing, see how the Pac-12 games p- perform. Well, actually, the fact that the Pac-12 team performed well, I think that that makes it less likely that they'll do nine nine games because Larry Scott can't sabotage this. So he, he's like, oh, man, it worked. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> I'm like, what if that's the key for Cal? It's that the smart kids all go to bed early, and so they have a hard time playing at seven at night. But if you give these Cal kids a nine in the morning game, you know, when when they're up and they've had their well balanced breakfast, then they're good to go. They're going to ace the test. Yeah. Um, and then the next game up in the day was what was in the preseason looked at was supposed to be a big game, but turned out not to be quite as big of a game as it was because Stanford had just had two back-to-back bad losses against UCF and USC. And then Oregon was ranked number 16. They hadn't given up a touchdown in two straight games and then continued that streak to this game, which is completely unbelievable to me. I've never seen a time where Oregon didn't give up three, didn't give up a touchdown in three straight games. I don't remember it happening in two straight games. So, this is incredible. This defense is really good. They won 21 to 6 on the farm. What is your assessment of this game, Ralph? Because I am going to be the wet blanket guy, just so everybody knows. Well, I mean, I'm learning more and more that Stanford doesn't have a home field advantage. Like I'm 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 newer to this. Okay. Like I, I haven't I haven't followed Stanford very closely outside of the last like six or seven years. And, um, and I was listening to a podcast recently where one of their former players uh, was talking about how demoralizing it is to play at home. Um, and he said that they call the stadium the library because it's so quiet, that the actual yeah. Stanford players call it that. And so, I mean, knowing that, that it was going to not really be – they weren't really going to have an advantage um, – and to have Oregon come in and play the way that they played defensively, like I, I thought Stanford played pretty well. Uh, it and it yeah, just, they did. I mean, Oregon's defense is just really good. Um, they, they this one is one of this one of those games where it was like, oh, couple of missed opportunities here and there. I could see Stanford have maybe scored twenty four points in this game. Um, I didn't think Oregon played all that well offensively, but like defensively, they were so good that it didn't matter. And to put a team to sleep in a stadium where everybody's ready to go to sleep anyway, I thought it was a good performance by Oregon. I just I I 
didn't think that the demise of Stanford would come as quickly. You know, I've been predicting it for a couple of years, but I didn't think it would show up this quick. And uh, and to not score a touchdown at home against one of your rivals is uh, is is not the way to convince people to speak up in the library. Stanford shored up their defense a little bit this game. They had been gashed the previous weeks for multiple. 25 yard gains and I think that Oregon only had two plays over 25 yards in the game they had a couple of 24 yard plays too but they didn't have too many 25 yard plays and that was a big departure from what happened the previous two weeks it was really really bad so to to wet blanket this situation I still do believe I have Oregon ranked in my top 10 for all of college football, the college football top 10, as it should be article on unafraid show. But at the same time, I'm looking at this team. They're not running the football very well. Like if you take out Justin Herbert's uh, sacks, which they call carries, they finished with 25 carries, 83 yards and like a three point three average. And I'm just sitting there like, this is not good. This team has trouble running the football, and I thought it was the offensive line, but at the set, but it is the backs, particularly C.J. Verdell, who took 24 of the 25 carries, which I'm surprised they didn't rotate some of the backs a little bit more. He is a physical runner. He's fast, but he just is a, is a battering ram, and there isn't the patience to cut back, find lanes, all of this stuff. So sometimes there's a lot of yards left on the, the field. And I think that Oregon is going to need to put in Darian Felix, Travis Dye, somebody else. But C.J. Verdell is really good in the pass, Emmy, in pass protection. But Justin Herbert is a – like he's playing so well. I think he's extended his touchdown streak to like 30-some-odd 30 30 games with a touchdown pass. And but on the Stanford side, Ralph, I could not be any more disappointed with what's happening with Stanford and what's happening with uh, David Shaw. He is becoming the um, the Jim Harbaugh of the Pac-12. Like everything's changing around him, and he refuses to change. He's the old curmudgeon, get off my lawn guy. Oh, remember. Back in my day, this is how we play ball. Ball ain't played like that no more. Yeah. I mean, they did throw 30 times. So they, I mean, when they were averaging 5.3 yards a carry with their running backs, you know, I I could have seen maybe in a situation where a couple of years ago they would have given the running backs, you know, 50 carries in a game that was still just a two score game um, in the fourth quarter. And so, I don't know. I, I thought I actually thought they were they were doing an okay job running the ball against this Oregon defense, but they missed Walker Little a whole lot, a whole lot, especially when like Kayvon Thibodeau, true freshman, is getting in the backfield. You had um, Lamar Winston had a sack. Gus Cumberlander had one and a half. Drayton Carlberg got in. You know they had about like six or seven different players hurry the quarterback. Troy Dye looked good. Had a tackle for a loss. This whole defense was just all over the place, and I feel like if if 
Uh, David Shaw had even involved maybe a little bit less, and they had depended on the running game. I don't think they win this game, but I also I also think that you're probably looking at maybe like a 17 to 10 situation because I it was obvious that throwing the ball wasn't going to work, and they still kept well they still kept going with it. I mean, if you take away Michael Wilson's 25 yard catch in this game, if you take away Michael Wilson's 25 yard catch, KJ Costello is 15 of 29 for 95 yeah. yards. It was not working. And so, the, you know, the, I, and I think a little bit, uh, a couple of years ago, maybe they would have stuck with the run a little bit more than they well, did. Well, the problem is, is um, that they couldn't. Yeah, I, this was just, yeah, the, the problem Stanford is, is bad. They kept being in third and long yardage. So when when you stay in third and long, yeah. you have to pass the ball. When it's third and six, seven, eight, you have to. And they tried to throw a bunch of screens. Oregon sniffed them out for for the most part. I cannot it was to to get off being a wet blanket guy. I was so impressed with Oregon. Like I tell you, their their defense is phenomenal. I am I've never seen anything like like this since I have been a part of Oregon. It's amazing, and it is great to see. Yeah, I am. I'm proud of that, but I do need their running game to get a little better. And I don't like the fact that they only scored 21 points. Um, next game up, Colorado and your boys, the Arizona State Sun Devils. You came out and uh, you you did say that they would not cover the seven point spread. I don't know how the hell did they score 31 points? They lost 34 to 31 at home. How did they score 31 points? I watched the Michigan State game. I watched the Kent State game. I watched the Sacramento State game. Is Colorado's defense just that bad? Yeah, well, Colorado's defense is definitely very bad. Um, so we'll just get that out of the way. They are not a good defense at all. Um, Jaden Daniels did throw an interception in this game, but that was on him. And he said it was on him. Um, Colorado didn't force that. Uh, Jaden Daniels, again, looked ridiculous. Re- ridiculously good for a freshman. He's a special player, 345 yards passing. He had the pick in the fourth quarter that that kind of, you know, made his performance a little bit sour. But this kid's on pace to throw for 3,200 yards as a freshman, and that was his first interception in well over 100 passing attempts. He's good. But moving on to what, what Colorado was just able to do in this game is Colorado's been starting slow, right? And I think what they did is they went back and they took a long look at the one successful drive that Michigan State had against Arizona State. Because Arizona State plays this 3-3-5 stack, and it's kind of confusing as to what they're going to do. And they looked at that one drive, and they were like, what is it that Michigan State did to move the ball? Well, they attacked the sort of soft center with quick slants and bunch formations. So Colorado State came out there and they ran a bunch of stuff out of bunch formations where you don't really know who's going to break out or who's going to go across the middle. Um, and uh, and it worked. Steven Montez is an accurate quarterback. And you and I talked about the fact that if Sacramento State had had an accurate quarterback, that would have been a problem for Arizona State too. I don't think Arizona State's defense is overrated. I just don't think their defensive line is good enough to make sure that how good their back seven is always shows up. So. Uh, the, the way that this game worked out was you have a team that hadn't scored um, a whole lot in the first half of any of their games come out and get 14 right away. And then for the rest of the game, Arizona State smacked Colorado State around, and it wasn't enough. They made a costly turnover at the end of the game. Um, but uh, Colorado State started quick, and then 
rope-a-doped for the rest of the game and came out with a win. Yeah, I I thought this game was headed into overtime, but it turned out not, not to be. I thought that uh, Alex Fontenot, the running back at Colorado, thought he did a good good job. And somebody on Twitter told me, they said that I am, when I said the USC has the best wide receiver core in the entire country, and I said that uh, Alabama is second, and then uh, Clemson and uh, I had Clemson and somebody tied for, 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 oh, Clemson and Oklahoma tied for fourth. Somebody said, you're sleeping on Colorado's wide receivers, that they are deep and they have depth. Think about it. This is the second time Colorado has won a game where LaVishka Chenault basically was invisible in the box score. He finished with one catch for 23 yards. Tony Brown, nine for 150 and three touchdowns. And Katie Nixon, six for 98. It's confusing. It's confusing. And this Colorado Buffaloes team is much better on offense than you would think they would be, especially with a defensive head coach like Mel Tucker. Well, first of all, where the hell did Tony Brown come from? Because there's a reason that you're sleeping on Colorado's receiving core. Katie Nixon has been good, especially with the with being able to break out when teams game plan around LaVisca Chenault. Well, LaVisca Chenault didn't play in this game after like the first series of the game. He got knocked out of the game. So he's injured, and you have Tony Brown and, and Katie Nixon. You should be able to handle just those two. But Tony Brown catches two ridiculous like balls, just so well thrown from Steven Montez, right on uh, Jack Jones's head. Which you know, I know Jack Jones has been away from football for a while. Maybe he shouldn't have been in the game. But then you look at the coverage and you're like, well, I don't think that could have been any better than it was. Um, Tony Brown, this is his fifth year in college football. He did two years out at Texas Tech. I believe he's played against Arizona State a couple of times before. But the most receiving yards Tony Brown's ever had in a season was 333 on 32 catches last year at Colorado. He had 150 yards receiving coming into this game. He had three touchdowns yesterday. He had three touchdowns in his career in three seasons before that. So I don't want to hear that Tony Brown, that that anybody was sleeping on him. He was asleep. He's the one that woke up. We only get to wake up to him when he performs. So he tore it up yesterday, but I don't want to hear anybody say that like, oh, he was this guy that was just waiting to go off. Um, This was was really a Steven Montez game. Steven Montez looked really good. And guess what happens when no one pressures you? Because nobody, nobody on Arizona State's roster got any pressure on Steven Montez. You tear it up. On third down, he was 9 of 12. Third down, he was 9 of 12 for like seven first downs and over 100 and some yards. They got no pressure on him at all, no pass rush. That was my biggest concern for Arizona State going into this year is that not being able to get to the passer would waste how good your defensive backs are. That's what happened. Um, Frank Darby uh, continues to screw up and drop balls and stuff for Arizona State. I don't know how much longer they can have him out there. Um, with you know, and then he had a glorious touchdown catch at the end of the end of the game, and all is forgiven, right? So, um, but I, I think what this comes down to is Colorado made coaching adjustments. Colorado is good. Steven Montez is good. This offensive line for Colorado is good. Um, but if they can't stop anybody, eventually they're going to run into a bunch of trouble in the Pac-12. Um, should have Arizona State won this game? I don't. 
necessarily feel like. I felt like maybe a couple of coaching decisions kept Arizona State from having a chance to, to win, but I have to credit Colorado for how they protected the passer and just how accurate Steven Montez was, especially without LaVisca Chenault. Uh, yeah, dude. And, dude, I used to love the show Bozo the Clown. Um, the uh, The last game up is UCLA versus Washington State. This is a game – nobody gave the Bruins a chance, especially not you, Ralph. I have been a Chip Kelly believer. I've said that they're going to win the Pac-12 South. They're one and zero. is this back now? Yes. Yes, it is back. It is back. I never gave away my – I never gave it away. Doubt started started creeping in, but – you either have to have faith or worry. You can't have both. So I got faith again. And I'm going to read you some, some numbers. Tell me how absurd these, and tell me if you know what numbers I'm reading. 10-7, Those are the quarters, aren't they? Yes. That, those are the amount of points that were scored in the quarters by the team to end up with the highest scoring game in Pac-12 history. 130 points in regulation and and to make it even worse Washington State in the in the third quarter was up by 32 points Ralph this is one of the most not in the third quarter with six minutes left in the third quarter they were up by 32 this is the most unbelievable victory improbable victory that I can remember because I remember the game a couple years ago with Josh Rosen when they came back from 34 against Texas A&M, but they had Josh Rosen and UCLA was supposed to be pretty good. Now, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson had been much maligned even by me. This dude turned into a real live quarterback and it was a shootout where Anthony Gordon for Washington State threw for 570 yards and nine touchdowns and lost. <laughs> oh man i don't know what to say about this game dude i i have no idea i watched your boy max borgie have uh just an incredible incredible game he only had the one touchdown but i i don't understand what happened the tackling in the last 20 minutes of this game <laughs> was atrocious it, yeah, it was like somebody. It, it was like it was like the monsters stole their powers or something. Like it looked so inept. Um, it, I just I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about this game. Here, here's what I will say. I'm in the we're in the ASU press box, uh, getting ready to record um, the the podcast that I do for just Arizona State, and um, it, it's delayed obviously because of the end of this game. And somebody walks by and goes nine touchdowns. Wow, that's like four more than Kirk Curbstreet had in his whole career. And then they just walked away. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we got the unnecessary shot at Kirk Herbstreet. <laughs> like he did he he had Kirk Herbstreet's career in this game. He doubled it. Um I just I, I don't know. The Anthony Gordon thing is, you know, obviously Mike Leach made the right choice there. Um, is this team who they were in the first two and two thirds quarters? Or are they the team that gave up 50 points in 21 minutes? Um, and who is UCLA? Everything I know about football 
really, really got confused by the end of this <laughs> game because I, I didn't know what to say. And I, you know, I picked UCLA to go to one and eleven this year. So, like at the end of this game, I was like, "Man, Washington State does not deserve to win." And then at the same time, I was like, "Oh, but if UCLA wins, they can't win the rest of the season, or I look stupid." So I was like, "This is why I don't make predictions." Um, <laughs> What do, what do you say about this game? I, I don't think this game was in indi- – I think something broke. Like there was just a glitch in the matrix and all of a sudden well, everything was – Well, here is the problem is I was watching it live on tele- television. Beth Mowens and I think Anthony Beck was on the game too. Uh, they were like, oh, I wonder if they're going to take out Anthony Gordon now in with six minutes to go in the third quarter. I wonder if they're going to take him out, you know – you know, because right. if he's going to get a chance to break the record or not, because at that point in time, he had seven touchdown passes and they were like, uh, and they were like, well, they, they might UCLA, they go down and score. And my wife asked me, she said, cause who's a UCLA alum. She was like, are they, they going to take him out? I was like, no, it's way too early. Cause anything can happen. UCLA scores. Then they get a turnover. UCLA scores. I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. I think they scored like four out of five straight possessions and Washington State scored one in between. And I was like, oh, my Lord, if they score one more touchdown, this is a game. Then all of a sudden you and then when they ran the punt back and took the lead, she was yelling, running through the house. Baby, baby <laughs> sleeping, and then that pissed me off because I was like, "Let me have got this excited and mess around and woke up the baby." How would you have been acting, boy? I mean, this was a game for the ages. Demetric Felton, number ten for UCLA, absolutely amazing. He's he doubles as a running back. He's a receiver. Joshua Kelly was really good. Dorian Thompson Robinson, his confidence looks high. Like he has not played with this yeah. much confidence at any point in time. And I'm wondering if a light came on for him. Yeah. I mean, uh, we also need, do need to point out that this UCLA defense gave up 63. Like, um, So it doesn't matter how confident Dorian Thompson Robinson is, you know, the future is still bleak for this UCLA team if they can't stop anybody. But if they can hang, they could be really exciting, especially if they're just going to let it all hang loose the way that they did at the end of last night's game. Again, oh, I don't have any yeah, proper analysis. For it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what, what do you think about chip going for it on fourth down? I loved it. That's he, big ball. I, this right. is the first time to me. He looked like he was having some fun in a long time. I like that. I like seeing that from chip. He looked like he enjoyed the game. Um, you know, I, I, when he almost called that timeout at the end of the game and they ended up scoring a touchdown because he didn't, Oh, that was that was one of the coolest things to watch, just him celebrating on the sidelines. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I still feel like Washington State is a much better team than UCLA, like much better team than UCLA. Okay. Okay. But this happened. So I, what, I don't know what to do. This is not a good UCLA defense. This is not a team. You say that, like, yeah, they could compete to win the Pac-12 South, but, like, at 67 to 63 every week. Hey, so when they play Colorado, oh my god. It's gonna, the score is going to look just like this. But next week uh, they play at Arizona and they take this show back on the road and, and beat up on your on your Arizona Wildcat Amsons. I could not I think I'm going to go. Oh, that, that's a, I think that I would go. I have to see it. If, 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 if there, if it's going to be like this, then I got to see it in person. Yep. 
I got to see the DTR versus Kalote show. P.S. Win their second game. You need to be there. I want to can. I do want to congratulate Khalil Tate on not throwing any interceptions this ah, weekend. Ah, because he didn't play. Oh, you take his shot. Hey, a stat, the stat's the stat. The stat is son. the stat. Okay, so to finish up the Pac-12 power rankings today, uh, we're, we're going to finish up with the Pac-12 power rankings today. I'll let you get started, Ralph. Oh, man. You ever hand in a test that you definitely did not study for, and you just like, as you're putting it down on the teacher's desk, you're like praying, like – Oh, I hope this is even like I hope this doesn't ruin my whole like grade in this class. That's how I feel about my power rankings this week. So, because, so am I going to yell at you? Of course, like I want to yell at me, but I I mean I got to write. I we got a pop quiz. I got to fill it out. So um, I'll just give you the back half real quick, uh, which is bad enough in and of itself. I got Oregon State at twelve, Stanford at eleven, Arizona at ten. UCLA at nine, Arizona State at eight, and Washington State at seven. Ralph, Ralph, you just, Ralph, you just (laughs) stop it right now. You Uh, stop it right now. This is just when I did not think that you could do anything worse. Just when I think that you could not make a worse power ranking, you come back and totally redeem yourself. With your top, with your first pick, <laughs> mine are exactly the same. I got Oregon State 12, Stanford 11, Arizona 10, UCLA 9. Even though that was a big win, they still have not shown it. But if they beat Arizona n- next week, they are going to shoot up the power rank because I'm telling you, they may they may be in the top, in the top five because this is the team that's going to win the Pac-12 South. Um, and then I got Arizona State at eight and Washington State, the uh, Cougars who cooged it up last night. And mind you, their fans who were demanding, we deserve respect. We're the number one t- offense in the country. Yeah, but you hadn't played anybody. And, and don't tell me Houston because Houston just lost to. Yeah, Houston just lost to somebody bad. So, yeah, guess guess what? You got less credits than you thought you did. All right, who you got bringing in your last six? Well, I'll give you my last six, but I do want to point out that one of the reasons that I couldn't bring myself to elevate UCLA over Washington State was San Diego State took a home loss to Utah State yesterday. So, like, even UCLA's losses are looking ridiculous at this point. Um, All right, so at number six, I've got Colorado. I feel pretty good about that, but I feel like, just without them being able to play any defense, they have they really have a chance for the bottom to fall out the way it did last season, especially if they're going to miss LaVisca for an extended period of time. I mean, they lost like five players on the defensive side of the ball in last night's game. If any of those are extended absences, they could be in huge trouble. Utah at number five, um, just because I – and this is weird that this is the only time I'm employing this logic – but you kind of have to have them below USC at this point when the third-string quarterback goes out there and throws all over you. Um, Utah, is, well, I think I had them at number one last week. So it's a big drop for them. 
I still feel like they might be able to to do some serious damage and not run the table. I do think they'll lose a couple more times. Um, but I, I, I think that USC is firmly in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 South, which is why I have them in the number four spot. It'll be interesting to see what they do at quarterback because that Keaton Slovis injury looked pretty serious at the time. It might be time to just roll with Matt Fink and see if he can handle uh, this on his own. Um, number three, I have Cal uh, because while they did put together a pretty complete performance um, against uh, Ole Miss, and by complete, I mean, well, they threw the ball and played defense. They did not run the ball well. Washington State put together a dominant performance in every single facet against a BYU team that has beat USC. So I have Washington at two, Cal at three, and uh, Oregon is firmly now in the driver's seat at number one for me in my Power 12, uh, my Pac-12 Power 12 rankings. Uh, like, I'm growing tired, Ralph. I'm growing tired because you, you – Oh, are- you mean like Washington? You mean like Washington was growing tired when they had to play at three in the morning against Cal? That kind of tired? That's when you play the game. Okay, so I'll go through my. I no, we talk about what do we say? Cal plays good early in the morning, and that was an early morning game <laughs> for Cal at Washington. They Man, were, they, they were playing making, at two in the morning. That's when these Ralph, kids get up. Ralph, you are doubling down on faulty logic, and you know this. So my six, five, and four are exactly as yours: Colorado, Utah. And USC, I don't know how on earth that you even considered leaving Utah ahead of USC. I don't even know how you even. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I said that. I, I said that there's no way that I could oh, okay. win a third string quarterback. Even, uh, even if when a third string quarterback, quarterback made it rain on you, I, any string quarterback, it could have been first string, second string, no string. They just beat them. <laughs> then you, they have to, and they were three. They have won three games. They have to go in front of them. Um, Washington, number three, dominant performance at BYU. But the fact that – and Cal at number two, Oregon at number one. Those two are clear and obvious. How – All right, bring it. Here we Ralph, go. Here we go. It, it, like you are perpetuating like bad power ranking math, bad logic, faulty logic. Like there, what do you have against Cal? They are doing. They are jumping through every single possible hoop. You said their offense was was bad. Chase Garbers can't throw the football. He goes out and throws the football against Ole Miss. They play on the road and win and and play play well. And then they beat Washington two weeks ago. They beat Washington for the second year in a row. They held them to twelve points. I'm sorry, they held them to 10 points two years ago. And last week, two weeks ago, they held them under 20 points again. And you're going to sit here and tell me that Washington is better. They're not better, Ralph. They're not better. Please make it stop. Like, like we're, we're going to have to send you to an intervention, either that or I think that you're gaslighting me. I think that you're doing this on no. purpose. You're trying to make me upset. I feel... I feel better about Washington against USC than I do about Cal against Arizona State with a freshman quarterback. Washington dominated BYU with a backup five foot six running back in a game where BYU got an extra touchdown, an extra touchdown. It was already a dominant performance. BYU got an extra touchdown because a Washington defensive back basically like handed it to Matt Bushman. So like I don't. I, I, they destroyed 
BYU and Provo. That is not something that most of the other teams in the Pac-12 could even imagine doing. One bad night and one made field goal does not make one team better than another. When the the other team has won all their games. Yes, it does. It's different if Cal had dropped a game or two. I get it. I could understand your logic. Cal has jumped through. Who's better equipped? Who's better equipped to take on Oregon? A team yeah. that can score or the team that can Cal, clearly, because 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 Washington can't play against good defenses and Oregon's defense might be better than Cal's defense. So what do you think is going to happen to Washington then? I just like getting you to talk about which of these two teams is going to beat Neither Oregon. one of them is going to beat Oregon. So, <laughs> so hold up. What does – the fact that you hate Cal so much apparently – what? I don't hate Cal. They are my second favorite fan base in all of – I do not hate – I think Washington is a better Why? football team. These are Why? power they rankings. Are, they, you have data. You have a head-to-head. That's like people – that's like Alabama fans saying that they were better than Clemson last year. They repeatedly said it after the national championship. So are you that person? You get your ass whooped, and then and then you're like, oh, well, never, never mind. We're still better. It was a field goal, George. So what? It's a field goal at two in the morning. Oh my lord, dude. So what does so if Cal blows the doors off of your Arizona State Sun Devils and Washington plays a close game with USC, will you then give them the credit that they deserve? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lies, lies. I, I, I'll see it with. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. You guys, thank you guys for joining us for the Pac-12 Apostles Podcast. Make sure that you guys share the feed. Tell a friend about the Unafraid Show. I know I said two weirdo things that Ralph is probably <laughs> laughing at during the podcast, but we're going to use those for the giveaway. So you guys have to be paying very close attention to the podcast. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Peace out. Catch you on Thursday. Thank you for listening.